The reason it's a trick question is because it has an obvious answer, which is correct, and then it has a less obvious answer, which is also correct. So here's here's the question I want to ask. How do you know if you love God? Go ahead. There's actually a a Bible verse that answers what both those answers were, and that was, Jesus says what? That's why. Huh? What would you say, Karen? That's what he said. That's the words that come up with what both of these individuals said. He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So you know you love God if you do what he says, right? Okay, but here's a question that adds to it and makes that a trick. Can you do what he says without loving him? Yes, you can. You can. You can do what he says. In fact, if you want the example, you remember when Jesus stood in Matthew 23? It's the week that he's going to die, and he stands before the leaders of the Jews who have set themselves up as standards, and everybody looks at them and says, you know, they're giving their tithes or whatever, and they're doing their sacrifices, and they're wearing verses on their head and stuff like that. They got the long robes on because they're the spiritual elite. They have to be the people that love God, right? And yet they did not. They loved themselves. They were hypocrites. They were pretenders. You can pretend. Okay, so at this place in the book of 1 Corinthians, we've dealt with a lot of the problems that this church has had, and we've reached this place where... Uh, some of their division is showing up because of, or at least being perpetuated by, the miraculous gifts that God had given them. And so in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul kind of, he identifies these gifts and he talks about their roles and, and their importance and the purpose of the gifts was to unite this body to accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish, right? Now you get into chapter 13, And what he's going to talk about is how long those gifts are going to last. And then in chapter 14, he's going to talk about how they have abused those gifts a little bit. But in chapter 13, chapter 13 kind of reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is a chapter that we use an awful lot to talk about marriage because Paul talks about husbands loving their wives and wives respecting their husbands and their roles and all this kind of stuff. And, and then he gets to the end of it. He says, listen, uh, this is actually, actually a microcosm. This is actually a picture. Uh, what I'm talking about is not marriage. What I'm talking about is the relationship between Christ and the church. So he talked about something that they could understand in order to, under, to get a grasp of something they didn't understand. In ch- 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they have a grasp on the emotion of love. They don't really understand the commitment of love. And so he is explaining the duration of these miraculous gifts by tying them to this what really is deep abiding love. Because see, the problem is this division that is developed because of these gifts, well, it would be really easy for somebody to say, I have the gift of healing, I'm healing people. Obviously, I love God. I have the gift of tongues, I'm speaking in tongues. Obviously, I love God. I have the gift of prophecy, I'm prophesying. Obviously, I love God. When in fact, their division actually showed that they didn't love God. They were using these gifts to elevate themselves rather than to honor God. You, you see that? So at the end of chapter 7, he says, look, I want you to... I want you to strive to be qualified for these greater gifts, more important gifts. But I want you to realize 
it's not just because I want you to be more important or I want you to you know, work your way up the church ladder or whatever. It's because I want you to desire them because you love God that much. And so he, con- he connects it back and ties it in to love. And that's what comes out here in chapter 13. So let's start in verse 1. He uses himself as, a, as the example. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So he's actually tied a couple things together. He's talked a whole lot about miraculous things, and then he's even talked about just sacrificial things. And I'm glad that he added the second part because... Obviously, he's going to say in just a minute about the miraculous age ending. And we know that because the apostles aren't here to lay hands on people. But the sacrificial side of this is always going to be there, isn't it? So he's continuing this, the application even to us today. But his point is, all these miraculous gifts that they have and that he also has, if he goes out and he's teaching and preaching and prophesying and speaking in tongues and healing and everything else that he does in a miraculous way, and it's only for the purpose of exalting himself or even for that matter if it's only for the purposes he thinks it's his responsibility what has it done for him just a bunch of noise absolutely yeah you just go through the motions and the more people Praise others for these miraculous gifts, the easiest, easier it became to do that. Because you had a, rate, a weight of responsibility and you had everybody praising you and that felt good. And he says, and by the way, let me ask you this. So say somebody had the gift of healing and they really truly did love God and they used that gift for him and, and they went in and they healed somebody. And then you have this other person that has the gift of healing and they're just you know they they really think it's they're really important and they go in and heal somebody what's the difference in the two activities did the person either person not get healed they were both healed so the impact is not on the evidence there the impact is the result of what it does for the person who practiced it a real good illustration of that today is there are hypocrite preachers there are a lot of hypocrite preachers uh, it's easy for me to criticize preachers because there's not very many of us here tonight. Uh, but, uh, you know, guys can spend their whole lives preaching and teaching and still be lost. You know that, right? That's what he's saying. I can do all this stuff, and if it's empty, if it's not because of a love for God, then I haven't benefited anything from it. And then he talks about that sacrifice. You can sacrifice, and you can sacrifice. You can give of yourselves. You can even die a martyr and still be lost. If the motivation for what you're doing is... Anything other than your love for God. Okay, keep reading. Now he kind of defines that love. I'm going to spend some time here. Verse 4. Love suffers long. I want to tell you the difference between an emotion and a commitment here. Okay? Because everybody knows that. And I make fun of this all the time. I can do that now that I'm old. Uh, You know, those two kids that are in love... 
You know, they're so in love. They absolutely can't breathe when the other person is not around, right? They can't think. They can't focus on high school math because so-and-so is in another class and it's 25 feet down the hall, right? They're that much in love. None of these older people understand that kind of love, right? Right? And, and then they stand before, you know, a preacher and crowd and they say, till death do us part, we just love. They have vows. Oh, the depths of the ocean are love, Right? <laughs> They can't even spout them off. They don't have a clue, do they? Now, we were there. I can make fun of it because we were all there, right? Okay. But it takes a commitment to keep that going, right? Listen to what he says again. Love, what? That doesn't sound like love. I mean, the two that are so, that really know what love is when they're 17 years old, they're not suffering, are they? No, if they start suffering, they'll go find somebody else, right? Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. You know what you start to get from this first verse about love? It's not about you. See, that's love. And the love when you're a kid, when you're feeling the emotion of it, it is about you. You know, this person makes me happy. This person makes me feel good. This person completes me, right? all about me. Well, the love we're reading about here is not about me at all. And they get it with each other. What he's saying is this is the way it is supposed to be with God, too. It's not about me. I can, and I do this. I preach about heaven, right? I talk about heaven. I talk at the end of all the sermons about coming home. I use that word specifically because I think that has an impact on, on us. Everybody understands home, right? Okay? But you've got to be careful and recognize the reason we come to worship and the reason we study and the reason we grow is not for the carrot at the end. It's for the God that loves us. He's worthy of our worship if there's nothing at the end. Now, obviously there is, but that's not, that's not the motivation, not at least the mature loving motivation. That might get me started, but the mature loving motivation is, you know what, without... Him loving me so much that he sent his son to replace me? I don't have any hope. You see that? Keep reading. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. I've got to tell you, our world doesn't know a whole lot about this love. You know, we talk about Love, love wins, and love trumps all, and love does this, and love does... That's not what you see when you look around, right? Doesn't behave rudely. How about that doesn't think evil? You want to know a quick giveaway on your own attitude toward others, especially your brethren? When something goes wrong, maybe you see or hear something that's not necessarily what you would hope it would be do you characterize it immediately as you know now you're upset with them and now your relationship's going to end or do you say this is out of character for that person and i'm going to go help that person there's a difference you know do you see something happen and say mm, i knew they were faking it or do you say that's not the brother i know they need my help there's a difference and the word is love. It's a commitment. It's about this, this family that we are. We are we, we're really bad. And I'm speaking generally. 
we are really bad about being quick to think evil about other people in our family. Yeah. Really bad about that. Keep reading. Verse 6. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Who in the world will rejoice in iniquity? Do we do that? Payback? Got what he deserved. I knew he wasn't as good as they thought he was. Yeah. But rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. That's the best part of this in my opinion. All of it's good, but that's the best part. That's how you get back to this idea of, you know, you, you... if you sat down with somebody, and I know there are some of you, I mean, Joe's been married for like 100 years. It's hard to believe that he's been married that long since his wife's only like 50 years old. But, you know, when you start that journey, right, how do you get from day one to year 60 or 50 or whatever? And the answer is in that verse. Bears, when the, bears the good days, right? All things. Endures all things. When we say, and I know we don't say these vows so much anymore, but we did when I got married. Uh, sickness and in health, richer or poorer, whatever they were, I don't remember. <laughs> Till death, I know, but there were more. There were more than just, it wasn't just three if I remember. It felt like a long time. Uh, when we say those things, we who thinks, you know, I hear people say, well, yeah, but... Uh, you know, that was before he lost his job. Oh, or richer, or poorer. Yeah, do you mean it? That was before they were handicapped or injured or whatever. I can't take care of them anymore. Well, you said you could. How, endures all things means it's something that keeps going no matter what you have to go through to get there, doesn't it? Okay, now I want to ask a question. Are we talking about love in this chapter? Is that the context here? It is called that, and that's what we call it. That's what the heading says, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about love because they understand it, and now he's going to apply it to their relationship to God, and most especially he's going to talk about why it's more important than this guy's ability to speak in tongues or this guy's ability to heal or this person's ability to prophesy or watch. Verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And I'll tell you that knowledge there is miraculous knowledge. He's not just saying people are going to go around without any knowledge of anything. I also want to tell you one other thing. When it says the word there, cease or fail, you know what it's talking about? The word actually literally means... Stop because of a lack of use. Stop because of a lack of use. Yeah, they are, the context. Let me explain that to you. Back when we lived in Arkansas, you know it gets cold up there in the winter. Uh, Our house had a fireplace in it. So I had this little home light chainsaw, and every fall before deer season so I could kill two birds with one stone do a little scouting 
and also some work. I'd get the truck and I'd go out in the woods and I'd cut wood and I'd haul it back and I'd, uh, I'd stack it up and I'd get ready for winter, right? Every year, that's what I did. When we moved to Florida, the chainsaw moved with us. So it was three and a half years into Cuesta and then it was, well, it was here about 14 years and I got it out to see if it run. So it went about 17 and a half years without being started. Guess what? Didn't work anymore. Didn't work anymore. You know why it didn't work anymore? Nobody been using it. The interesting thing about the wording here is these miraculous things are going to end. Now we know, we know, we can, we can reason this out. If it takes an apostle to lay hands on somebody to give them miraculous gifts, and that's the only way they can be passed on, we know they have to end when the apostles die, right? Or at least when the people that they've laid hands on have died, right? So you can't go another generation after that, right? Okay, but beyond the logic, he has just said it's going to end before that. The miraculous is going to end before that. And it's going to end because nobody's using them anymore. Now, what would cause you to not need to use them anymore? What caused me to not need that chainsaw? It doesn't get cold down here. So I don't need a fireplace, which means I don't have to go out and cut wood, right? What would cause them to not need miraculous prophecy? What caused them to need it was they didn't have all of what God needed them to know. What would cause them to not need them anymore is when they have what God wanted them to know, right? So let's read it. Look at the verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, meaning their miracles, they don't have everything, right? But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now, I want to really tie two words up there. One of them is the word perfect. We read that, and what do we think? Perfect. We think perfect, right? And there's only been one perfect person, right? So we tie it to Jesus. That is not what that word means. And that word is never used anywhere in the New Testament to refer to Jesus. Not one time. What that word means is complete. Something that you start. You start a house. When do you move in? When it's done. When it's complete. So he says when something is complete is when what is not complete is not going to be needed anymore. And what was it that was in part? What did he say was in part? The verse before. The miracles. The, the, the knowledge, the prophecy, the, the miraculous gifts were partial for the purpose of confirming a message, delivering a message, and confirming a messenger as being sent from God, being accurate. But when that is done, when it's complete, what do they need it for? They have all that they're supposed to have. You want to know something? I've thought in my past, we could probably fill this place up if I could do a miracle. You know, if I could really do it. If I could, if I could just go walk on water, boy, the news would pick that up and people would come here, wouldn't they? If that's why they came, how long would it last? Not long. 
Not long. They'd be waiting for the next one. Miracles were never for the purpose of drawing people. They were for the purpose of confirming a message and confirming a messenger. And when that's confirmed, you don't need them anymore. So he says the duration of these miracles, the time frame. Chapter 12, they, they have, he lists them off and they have been so divided over. And he says, why in the world are you so divided over something that's not going to last very long? It's just like this. You know, I've used this illustration before. You go on a vacation, you rent a car. You're going to have it for a week. You're going to go rotate the tires and change the oil and have that thing cleaned up? No, why not? You're not going to have it very long. A week later, you're going to turn it back in and somebody else is going to drive it, right? Okay, what he's saying is, and we could get even more extensive of that, and we could talk about life. We need to live our life that way. You know, why do I get so tied up in the things of this life when they're really, in the, in the grand scheme of time and eternity, nothing, right? So we could take it so far. What he's doing is he's taking it to the miraculous and saying, you guys are divided over things that aren't going to last very long at all when what's behind them is going to keep going. Let's keep reading. 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I'm also known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He is equating, keep a context there. He's equating to their miraculous age as not being the better age, but being the immature childish age. Of what? Of the church. They didn't have everything they needed. They were, they were children. Do you kids, when they're growing up, you're trying to guide them, instruct them? Do they know everything? They think they do. Do they? No. They're going to figure it out someday when they mature. And the church was like this. This is an infant church that is growing up and they have struggles and they have baggage and they have issues and they don't have what the completed revelation delivered to them. And so they're struggling with it like a child and they needed these gifts, this crutch, if you will, to get them, get them through this part of the journey. One day they're going to stand up. Okay, chapter 14. Let me go a little quicker here. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So there is the most important one he's talking about is prophecy. Why? Yeah, that's directly God's word to the people. Now, before we read the next verse, I want to ask a question. Uh, let's just say for a second that uh, miracles were still being passed on today. They're not, but let's say they are. And let's say that I had been given today the gift of tongues. Pick one for me. What language do you want me to speak in? German. Spanish is easy. German, there you go. Not that I can speak Spanish, but people around here can. German. You know, I was on the phone yesterday trying to book a hotel in Japanese. Let's pick Japanese. Spent 15 minutes and couldn't get an email address across. I'll tell you about it another time. Japanese. Okay, so suddenly I had the gift of tongues. I could speak Japanese without even studying it, obviously, which is what the gift of tongues was. Okay, tell me what good that would do me tonight. None? Why not? Nobody here understands Japanese, right? If you do, I need to talk to you later. I need you to help me get a hotel. <laughs> Nobody here speaks Japanese, right? So it's worse. The gift <coughs> would be given to me 
based on my ability to go to where it can be used. Right? Okay. But just because I have that gift, well, you don't praise me for it if I go use it where there they are because you're not there, right? So I might decide I want to use it a little bit around here because I want you to know I have it and I'm important and praise me for it, right? So let's listen to how he deals with that. <clears throat> for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. doesn't mean this is some mysterious language he's speaking. What it means is, if I'm speaking a language that you don't know, it's mysterious to you. You don't know what I'm saying. So it doesn't do you any good at all, does it? So I'm not helping you. So the gift God gave me to help people is not helping anybody. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. If I have the gift of prophecy, I'm going to communicate it in our language because we speak the same language, right? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. They have people who are just speaking their tongues just because it makes them look important. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, lest indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. See, the guy speaking in tongues may have something good to say, but what good does it do if somebody doesn't interpret it for you? There was miraculous interpretation, too. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation or knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching? And that's another thing about tongues. What worth are they if they're not delivering a message that God gave somebody? What worth are they? You go back to the day of Pentecost, and they're in the upper room, and the sign that 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 peter uses to point back to joel was they were speaking in tongues right and people hear them speaking in tongues they think they're they think they're drunk and so peter says we're not drunk this is what joel talked about well what they saw was them speaking in tongues okay well they didn't just spout off a whole bunch of words they used those tongues and they spoke in languages that jews from every nation that were there heard in their own language there was a reason for it, wasn't there? Yep. 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 Right. They're using they're using what would be a gift to help them reach other people, and nobody there understands it. That's exactly right. All right. Verse seven. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For the trumpet makes an uncertain sound. Who will prepare himself for battle? Wouldn't that be great? You know, the trumpet, they used a trumpet call during ancient days, in the Old Testament even, many things, right? If they had to have a gathering together of the town or the nation or whatever they blow the trumpet call everybody together they blow it for a warning of an enemy was attacking right they would blow it for an attack whatever what if you've done all this training and you know whatever your military you're involved with and you've got the charge you've been trained when you hear this trumpet blow the charge you know get it we're going to take off and then the guy gets up to blow the charge you're going to go into battle and they he's he can't do it today he's sick so they pull in somebody else who's never played it before Never played a trumpet before, and they say, make a noise, and he goes, or he plays a violin. You're going to charge, or you're going to start going, what in the world does that mean? 
There has to be a distinction, right? That was the point of these gifts. Keep reading. So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how be known what's spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. See, that's what a tongue was, a language. Languages in the world, none of them is without significance. Therefore, I do not know the meaning of the language. If I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. They, they, they ought to be striving for the, to be qualified for these gifts, but not just to show how important they are, but to help the church, right? Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue, uh, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. If you if you speak in a language that people don't understand, you need to you need to pray for a translator, right? Somebody to tell them what you're saying. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the result then? I'll pray with the spirit. I'll also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit. I'll sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? That's a pretty good description, by the way, of singing, praying, and preaching. Let me ask you a question. What value is there in me spending uh, eight hours? It takes me approximately... Some weeks more, some weeks less. Eight hours for every lesson that I deliver. Whether you're talking about a Bible class or a sermon, it takes about eight hours behind every lesson. What good, what good is there in that eight hours if I get up here and spend 50 minutes? I don't preach that long. You know that. Usually they're about 27. If I get up and talk for 50 minutes and you don't understand any of it, what, what good is any of that time? That's nine hours wasted. All right, what good does it do to get up and pray with these flowery, professional, repetitive words? And I don't want to be critical of somebody who has, that's their vocabulary. I'm just saying, what good does it do me if that's not my vocabulary? I had a friend who was very educated, very intelligent person who was preaching and he went to a congregation that was a very professional congregation, and that bothered him. I mean, he had some really high-educated people in the congregation. It bothered him. And so every sermon, it was like he was using a thesaurus, you know? Every word, he had to find a better word in the thesaurus, and he's preaching that way. And one day, one of the men came out the back, and he said, Man, I don't have a clue what you were preaching about today. And he said, What? You're a highly educated man. Yeah, in my field, <laughs> not in the Bible. I need you to feed me where I am. Is that not true? The songs, they're supposed to have meaning, aren't they? You need to know what we're saying. That's what he's talking about here. How can, we, how can we agree, that's what the amen is, how can we agree if we don't know what we're talking about? Keep reading. I'm getting further behind, by the way. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. What's he mean in, in malice be babes? Have you noticed how kids can 
you know, fight and claw at each other. 30 seconds later, they're best friends. <laughs> they're hugging and, yeah. some reason, we forget that. We grow up and they last forever. In the law, it's written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. That was a quote from Isaiah. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. For, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever and an un, uh, uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's judged by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I have friends that send me, uh, I hesitate to use the word humorous, but humorous videos from time to time on Facebook or Messenger or whatever. And they're, they're, they're sad, actually, uh, of some of the things that are going on in the religious world. And I got a video maybe a couple weeks ago, and uh, I think I actually sent this one on to Jared, uh, too, so I guess I'm guilty as well. But anyway, this video was of a worship service, and you couldn't. it was just like from the back, and the preacher was standing on the pulpit, not the podium, on the pulpit. And he was doing this kind of marching thing. And as he was marching, the band was behind him, and they're just really rolling. And so he's just marching, and everybody starts, it's like a conga line, only it's a jogging conga line. And they're just running circles around this auditorium. And I thought as I was going through this, prep for the class, I thought, if somebody walks in the back door, and this is what I thought when I got the video too, and they see what's going on in there, what are you going to think? They've lost their mind. Yeah, that's true. You would get out of the way. That's what he just said. If you guys all have the gift of tongues and everybody's just shouting and talking and going on and you're in Japanese and you're in German and you're in Spanish and you're in Russian and whatever other language you, we have a gift to go take care of and somebody comes in the back door and sees that, what are they going to think? I don't belong here. It's a bunch of chaos. On the other hand, if what they hear is God's word, the only reason they leave is if their heart's not where it ought to be ready to listen to it. Okay, keep reading. 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, each has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Did you say that's how is it then? He just said if people come in and it's a bunch of chaos, they're going to think, oh, I don't have a clue what's going on here. I don't belong here. So then he says, why are you doing it then? If you know that's the end result of it, why are you doing it? Because So we just found out about their worship. Their worship is just chaos. You got people spouting off in tongues that mean nothing to anybody else. You got people prophesying on top of others who are prophesying. You got all kinds of things happening in a, in a chaos. And it wasn't, look at it, let all things be done for edification. So they weren't speaking in tongues to help matters, huh? Or prophesying to help matters, huh? They were doing it to look important. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. You know, worship services are not supposed to go on forever. Did you know that? You thought you were the only one that thought Terry ought to quit at 11, didn't you? Worship services don't, 
supposed to go on forever. People quit listening after a certain time. Okay, but, you know, I've been to funerals. I've been frustrated at funerals, even funerals, where everybody has to get up and top the previous person. You know why? It's not because they're honoring somebody who's passed away. It's because you need to know how important I am. Well, that happens in the church. I've got you got to know how important I am. I mean, maybe you're okay, but I'm special. So you got to know that. Keep going. Uh, if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Use your gift where it's supposed to be used. If it's not going to be beneficial where you are, shut up. There's no use in it. Let two or three prophets speak. These are even prophets people can understand. And let the others judge, he says. It shouldn't go on forever. And by the way, the people have responsibility of figuring out whether what they're saying is the truth. Let the people judge. If anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous statement right there. Because while you're talking, I might not like what you're going to say or are saying. So I'm just going to interrupt you because God told me to say something. But when they had the miraculous, it wasn't supposed to be about them, was it? And that would be about me. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets, oh, here's a big one. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You get people running around today and they just can't control it. That preacher's running up here on the pulpit. He couldn't control himself. Well, guess what Paul said? You can control it. They could control the miraculous gifts, including tongues. Which means anybody today who's acting differently, you don't even have to look it up. You already know they're lying. (laughs) Keep going. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God's not behind all this. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only that it re- uh, on- you only that it reached? Now, I've got to stop there. I want to read all that before I talked about it, and this is where I'll get in trouble, but that's okay. Uh, this is not an all-inclusive passage on the role of women in the church. Okay, that's First Timothy chapter 2. This is a chapter about the situation that was happening in Corinth. It wasn't just the men that were creating a problem. The women were too, and there are specific women. Actually, it says, let your women. Has I got a question? Let me ask you this. If this is a general statement for all application to all situations in the church, you have two problems. One of them is, what are you going to say to the woman that's not married and can't go home and ask her husband a question? She can't learn anything. Okay, here's the second one. The word silent there is not meekness, quietness. It is utter and absolute silence. No noise whatsoever. How is she supposed to sing praise to God if she can't make a noise? No, this passage is not talking about the women's role in the church. This passage is talking about what was happening in the church in Corinth. And they were just making a chaotic worship services. The Lord's Supper was turning into this huge feast where they were talking about how 
wealthy one was, how poor one was. They're divided up over miraculous gifts. One of them stands up and starts talking. The other stands up and starts... You've never been in a meeting where everybody wants to talk, have you? And what was happening in, they had some powerful women who took over. That never happens. I know that. They took over. And he says, time for you people to shut up and go home. Because it doesn't serve the purposes of worshiping and honoring God, does it? Okay, I'm going to finish this chapter. Uh, let's see, 37. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. They know what he's saying is the truth because they have miraculous inspiration, some of them. They know it. But if anyone is ignorant, uh-oh, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently in order. I struggle with that passage, not about the decently in order one, although that does bother me because I think sometimes we don't live up to that. Uh, that's not the part that bothers me. The part that bothers me here is when he says, if somebody wants to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. I just have a hard time with that. You know, do you? You know, I want to convince them. You, they, they, you don't believe this is the truth? I'm going to convince you this is the truth. Only thing is, don't usually convince them. God says, look, if I'm not enough, nothing's enough. Our job is tell the world what he wants us to tell them. That's exactly right. Go on. Exact same thing. Yep. Okay. Let's close with a prayer. Uh, listen, the, if you look at the calendar or the schedule, Sunday, I'm supposed to be back in the book of Acts. I got two more chapters in 1 Corinthians. Probably what I'm going to try to do is kind of summarize a little bit and summarize Acts. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll spend a lot of time in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and then summarize 16 and then that small portion of Acts. But we're going to catch up Sunday. Okay. Be prepared. We're going to catch up Sunday. Let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight and thankful, Father, for the opportunity to study your word. And we pray, Father, that we will we'll make everything that we are and everything that we do about you and honoring you, our love for you and our love for each other. Help us never to elevate ourselves or think of ourselves too highly, but trust in you and allow you to lift us up and use us. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.